At the tone, please record your voice message. When you are finished recording, you may hang up or press pound for more options. Hey, Laura. Hello, this is Pete from the Beer and Loathing Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you took it. You, you can go for it, too. Welcome to the Beer and Loathing Podcast for December 22nd, 2016. This is officially the last podcast we will release in 2016, so happy holidays, you bastards. We'll see you on the other side. I'm Pete M. in Grand Rapids, Michigan, drinking Black Rocks per the huge. Sam is in Denver, and today we welcome Laura from the Big Beers, Belgians, and Barley Wine Festival back to the show. Hello, Laura. Greetings. Thank you so much for having me back. Thank you so much for uh, being a part of this again, and... Uh, as it would turn out, you're actually closer to me this time than you are to Sam the last time we did this, because yeah. you're in Ohio, correct? Correct. I try to keep things equal, you know, wherever I can. <laughs> we appreciate that. Thanks. Somebody's got to love Ohio. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, you know, it's it's improved a lot since I grew up here. We now have the Jacobs Field, the Hall of Fame, the... Flats are no longer, you know, a derelict section, and you can go down and be entertained. There's a lot of things that happened since I grew up here. And now they actually could serve beer on par with what you guys celebrate at the Big Beers Festival, because I, I didn't realize they couldn't serve beer over, like, a certain percentage until only a few months ago, I want to say. Right. I'm not sure it's an unlimited pop, but at least it's a, a significant raise to the cap, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's something that... Seems a little bit more well compared to what I'm used to drinking out here. At least it's something a little more standard. It seems like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know if Colorado has been so unlimited for so long because we need it, or because <laughs> there's just no, you know, maybe it was uh, Hickenlooper's influence on the legislation, whatever it was. We've been lucky enough to be able to warm ourselves that way for a long time. Yeah, I I have not been complaining. The past four years have been very sudsy, and I. I'm all right with that. Pete, did you say you're drinking Black Rocks? Yeah. What is that? I don't... What, is that a brewery? Uh, I drink... I'm, yeah, I, I normally drink Black Rocks on these uh, last time we recorded. I had Black Rocks Coconut Brown. This time I have Black Rocks Grand Rapids. Uh-huh, Grand Rapids. Um, yeah, I like it. Because you're in Grand Rapids. Uh-huh, yep. And... um. It was it was either coconut brown or Starman. I don't know. They just released this like limited uh, pale limited run pale ale that's super good um, called Starman. But yeah, here I am plugging Black Rocks again. And I'm still not getting free beer sent to me. So what the fuck? <laughs> well, you know, I don't get anything sent to me. I don't. I don't even know if I ever plugged the beer I'm ever drinking. So that's probably why we don't ever get shit sent to us. Laura, you... that's true. Plus, there's only like two people that listen to this podcast, and I <laughs> right. doubt one of them is a is a rep for Black Rocks. But regardless, no, I'm pretty sure one of them was my mom one time, and then she heard the the, the show, and then she's like, "I'm not listening to this anymore." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Laura, you uh, having anything to drink tonight? I realize it is a Tuesday right now. Is it Tuesday? Yeah. Yeah. No, not tonight. Tonight I'm plowing through the to do list, but there should be something celebratory at the end. Yeah. I do. I do have a lot of beer donated my way. Um, so my friends and my roommates do very well since I am celiac. Yeah, so they uh, right. they reap the benefits of of all your uh, plunder there, huh? Mm-hmm, exactly. They're liking that. So 
I figured let's uh, just kind of dive into the the main topic I kind of want to discuss first is, uh, you know, the festival we talked last year. You gave us a great, like, you know, oral history of, of, the, of the festival and everything. This year it's kind of having a big change mm-hmm. in that it's moving to Breckenridge. Yeah, it's been a lot of a lot of labor of love for sure. It's been a uh, first, you know, right after 2016 event, it was a question of, you know, are we going to be able to move forward? Yeah. Um, you know, what what's it going to take to move forward, and and is everybody going to support a move? Because anytime that you change things significantly, you wonder if you're going to lose all that momentum. Yeah. So we really, you know, kind of, you probably got the survey right after Big Beers too that said, you know, if you can help us with feedback about what kind of changes would make sense to you and what you'd support and what you, you know, what wouldn't make sense, you know, let us know. So there was a very real question there of, you know, can we move forward? Will everybody support us? Where would we go? What it would look like? And then really Bill and I sat down and said, what is Big Beer's weekend? You know, what are the characteristics we need to make sure that we maintain in this move in order to still call it Big Beer's and what things can change and nobody's really going to miss them. Yeah, sure. So that was an interesting question because there are so many things that have evolved over the course of 16 years and some of them, you know, maybe are optional. Mm-hmm. So sure. we really decided that we needed the event space because most of the feedback we got was, you know, please don't shrink the commercial tasting too much. Um, we understand if you have to shrink it a little bit, but not a lot. Yeah. And we definitely want to be able to ski and enjoy the mountains. We had a fair share of people that said, oh, just move it to Denver. <laughs> and we decided that then it, then it wouldn't be big beers anymore. You know, we could, we could create something new, but it wouldn't really be big beers. It's probably all of Denver and people so that to, are like, move it have, down here to us. We like to have everything by us. We're a bunch of selfish people. Denver. <laughs> well, so many of them like an excuse to come ski as well. Yeah. So it was definitely the people who have unlimited skiing access that kind of didn't care about that part. Yeah. Um, but most of our destination yeah. brewers are there because they want to play in the mountains and be outdoors. And so the idea of keeping it in the mountains. And then the third element was, you know, what's our distance from DIA? We have to make oh, it something yeah. so that our destination guests are actually able to get to the event. And so those were the three criteria that we went in with uh, prior to the move to figure out, you know, will this work? After we got that feedback off the survey that said, please don't close it down. Um, <laughs> it's a good start. We said, okay, well, how are, how are we going to do this? So I literally shopped. Um, I did as much research as I could in Vail to figure out how we could do it there. Um, I shopped Beaver Creek, I shopped Copper Mountain, I shopped Keystone. Mm-hmm. Winter Park doesn't really have enough conference space. No. And, you know, it really came down to the fact that we also had to consider how many bars, restaurants, liquor stores, what's the support um, network of the community that we're going to be moving to? Because you're bringing 120 breweries and importers into town and they all want promotional special event visibility sure. if they're going to have their, their owners and their brewmasters there. So that became kind of a fourth component that we needed to really give some thought to. And once you add that in, Breckenridge was really, not only did they welcome us with open arms, but they were really the only logical choice because they have that whole town infrastructure that can be 
activated, really. Yeah. I mean, when you first so, announced that it was going to be Breckenridge, I mean, that it seemed like the logical choice to me because of all the other like mountain resort areas that I've ever, you know, just hung out in more or less, Breckenridge is, is the only other place. Cause you know, you don't, you don't go to Keystone and hang out at Keystone unless you're going snowboarding or skiing, you know, you don't just go and wander around the city. You know, it's, you, you can wander around the strip along Breckenridge and whenever I have friends from out of town, I'm, I take them up to Breck and we'll, you know, wander the town. It's a nice little afternoon and, there's cool little shops and bars and stuff along the way. It, it, it is a city instead of just kind of like a resort village, so to speak, like the other kind of places are. Right. It's not out in the middle of nowhere at the base of a mountain. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, and there's, I mean, Keystone has a beautiful conference center. We could have had the commercial tasting on one floor in one space and not changed a thing, but by the same token, you know, the hotel is not part of that space and you have to catch a bus to go ski from there. So yeah. having everything in one place like we could manage to do at, at Beaver Run, even if we have to have two floors for the commercial tasting, I think is still a better fit for, for what we're trying to be for the whole experience. Okay. So that I didn't realize that it was going to be two yeah. floors for this. That'll be interesting. So the the whole commercial tasting mm-hmm. will happen at once just on two different floors now? Right, and we did that before we moved into the tennis court area at the Cascade. Okay. We had a, a ballroom upstairs and a ballroom downstairs. Um, but in this case, it's two full, high-ceiling, very nice ballrooms. There's not like this kind of downstairs feeling, yeah. even though it is downstairs. It's not like you are stuck in a basement. Yeah, you don't feel so like it. So it'll, it'll, it'll test the... Uh, coordination abilities of our very responsible drinkers going up and down whether they choose the elevators <laughs> it's or the like computers. survival of the fittest at that point i think i think that's darwinism in effect well yeah but it's also strategy for me i've got a security officer at the base of the stairs to catch. <laughs> <laughs> so. perfect it'll be a good way to pick out who's maybe overindulged indeed and you know we also have to add in there that we've got another 1500 feet in elevation that we're adding Oh, really? Right. So, right. Wow. Yeah. Penrose breakfast. It's going to be an higher. interesting round. All right. Yeah. I'm taking notes right now, Laura, because so, every year I feel like I, I learned something from the previous year. And so I feel like year three I should hit my stride <laughs> and actually know what the hell I'm doing this time in terms of behaving. Well, strategy's good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I think that it's going to be kind of an interesting thing this first year i mean really honestly rubber to the road we just have to do it once and then we can figure it out how to fix it sure but in this new space in this new layout in this new town in this new on this new mountain i mean we've got so many variables that are different and it's hard to hard to move an event anyway even if you're just moving it next door Mm -hmm. um but whole new community and and trying to share with them what we are and what we do I didn't have to explain, obviously, to our, you know, the, the brewery reps that are in our area there. And they were already ahead of me in town saying, Big Beers is coming, which was awesome. Yeah. But, you know, people don't, don't know what we bring. Oh, so one of the hardest parts of this really has been getting to know the community. Who are the players? Who cares about craft beer? Who doesn't really, you know, need or want the interruption? happy to support us but they don't necessarily want to activate with us and and who is on it and they're going to move mountains in order to be part of it you know to just figure out who those people are 
and how to involve them and integrate them has been a really not uphill challenge because everybody's been so welcoming, but it's just a lot of work. It's a lot of wisdom and a lot of learning from the sales reps and from all of the community people that are are there to say, okay, go talk to this person, go talk to that person and, and figure that out and establish those relationships. And that's not something so, I think I would ever, ever would have necessarily taken in consideration for something like that. I mean, I, I know, you know, there's, there's conferences, you know, industry type conferences that change location every year. Um, but they're not like CBC. Yeah. That are like, I used to work in like the electrical industry. So there'd be conferences uh, that were related to that, that would be in a different spot every year. And I don't think they had the, mm-hmm. the necessi- the necessity to, to like connect with the, 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 the area on that level. And they'd also only go to like massive cities and, you know, set up in like 12, 13,000 person size conference halls, kind of like, you right. know, where GABF is at the Colorado convention center. So you know, the, the neighborhood doesn't necessarily right. feel the impact of a major, you know, conference that will bring in, uh, you know, several, uh, what does Big Beers bring in? Several hundred, several thousand? Like, what do you anticipate? Like the people? Yeah. I mean, I guess all um, said and done. Um, our, our biggest event will be that commercial tasting and our fire code limit is 1900 this year. Okay. It's, I know it's always so, felt like, um, intimate, it, but it's never felt, it's never felt like overwhelmingly large, but I have a really terrible time gauging how many people are in a space ever. Yeah, well, and the fact that it's on two floors and there's a middle floor with coat check in between <laughs> means oh, yeah. that we can theoretically fit more people in. Um, but it's 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 kind of an interesting thing presenting your event to a community. And when you present it and say, we don't bring just business to Beaver Run, we bring business to your town, I then have to back that up. Yeah, And so I promised them that we would activate within the town and therefore the extra legwork and the extra time that you're right, you don't necessarily have to do to create a conference. I could just be insular and beaver run and say, okay, you guys do your thing wherever you're going to do it and not participate in that. But I felt in order to make good on our promise to the town for their support that I needed to to really be active in the community and saying, okay, here we are and this is what we're doing, so you guys need to plan. Yeah. And, you know, planning is not everybody's forte. And, I mean, so you, you've, I, I, like I said, I've been two the past two years, and, you know, there was a handful of events that kind of, to me, were staples. I don't know how long they'd actually been established or anything, but I'm thinking of, like, you know, the bowling event at Bowl and I know a few of the other things that go around Vail. Was it harder to find area or like you know venues in a new town like Breckenridge to you know figure all right what can we do what you know who's open to it so on and so forth or you know whether anyone even said no why don't you not include us or anything like that well um it was not so much a yes or no include us or don't it was more of a how does what you're doing work with what I do sure so one of my first outreaches was for the dinners because I've got the small plate preparing and the traditional brewmaster's dinner that were not planned at Beaver Run. Mm-hmm. And since you've been in Breckenridge, you can probably appreciate the fact that a lot of the restaurants are in old houses that are, you know, 12 people to a room if you're sitting down for dinner. And so to find a, a space that is large enough to accommodate 100 people is not necessarily an easy mission. Yeah. And some of 
some of the chefs that I talked to originally said, well, yes, we'd love to support what you're doing. You seem to have your act together. Your people respect what, you know, the event. But in our space on that night, it just doesn't make sense. So really finding that synergy and saying, okay, how about instead of talking to you about a bigger dinner, how about we do the small plates on one of your floors for 36 people at Ember, for example, instead of talking to you about 100, which won't fit on all three floors of the little house. Yeah, yeah, sure. So it's, it's a very interesting sort of challenge of, you know, who, who are the movers and the shakers on the culinary scene? But then the next question is, what shape of place do they have? Yeah. And, and I, it was, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it sounds like maybe you kind of re, uh, reshaped a few of your events to maybe fit their venue a little bit too. So, you know, there's a little bit of a compromise or something there. I don't know if compromise is the right word. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just... Yeah. Well, it's customizing, absolutely. And we may do some more customizing next year. You know, it depends on what the goals are. Yeah. Are the goals to work with that chef or is the goal to accommodate that many people? Um, and I guess that comes down really to where the profit centers are and where the brain damage is. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that we have not always had as a priority is the financial structure of the event. And that's something we're trying to be a little more mindful with now that we've decided to move forward and create a nonprofit and really establish things to go into the future. We want to make sure we establish it in a way that will last and survive the future. Yeah. So we really... We really want to take the opportunity, and it's kind of interesting to have a board of directors now as a nonprofit to balance and bounce all of these ideas around and say, how does it balance? Does it is it still true to what we want to do, and do we want to um, take this element out? Add maybe a ski with the brewers, you yeah. know, something different. You know, how do how do we want to customize what we are to where we are now? Sure. Yeah, I, I thought that was interesting that you guys were able, you know, that you did convert, or I don't know if it was convert, but you became the nonprofit and, and all that stuff. So um, does, does that affect anything other than, like you said, you have a board of directors, or does it affect any, like, credibility? Like, did it help you kind of in this move to different area, like with establishing rapport with local businesses or anything, or was it just it, it made sense at this kind of this time at this point? Well, um, there were a couple of different pieces that were impetus. Um, Part of it, honestly, was the Colorado liquor law. The liquor enforcement world in Colorado decided that anything, any event that receives donations has to be run by a nonprofit. You can't partner with one anymore. Um, So that was one of the big um, pushes. Otherwise, I don't think I would have wanted to make that step at the same time that we changed venues because it's a lot of extra brain damage. But Having having a board is, is really a nice resource on a lot of levels. Having extra opinions, a lot of experience is, is really a good thing. And Bill and I decided we really wanted the event to move forward beyond perhaps where we will be able to take it. And having the other input and contribution makes a lot of sense. Sure. Well, that's and, cool. And to your other point there, in the community... Um, it was kind of a tough piece because previously a lot of our sponsors activated because we were connected with the Vail Valley Charitable Fund. And we would establish our relationships with them 
but it was the charity fund, charitable fund that opened the door. Okay. And in Breckenridge, we are now going to be working with the Rotary. They're going to help us with our coat check and our retail and stuff. Um, so we are integrating somewhat with a nonprofit that's local. But the Big Beers Educational Foundation was founded for, you know, the education for and about the brewing community. So it wasn't founded as a 501c3. It's an industry support nonprofit. Hmm. Okay. So it does change the face of things a bit. That is interesting. And I agree. It's a, I, I think that's still why it's one of my favorite, like, beer-related events is because of that educational component. Uh, I mean, the first year, I'm not going to lie, I was <clears throat> a little under the weather the, the day of, so I didn't make it any of the <laughs> sessions. But uh, uh, <laughs> last year, I definitely made it to a handful, and, and they were all fantastic. I learned a ton of stuff and uh, met some really cool oh, folks good. there. Uh, did the Definitely did the blending session with Troy Casey, which I'm still kind of what's the word? I'm still trying to like get my palate used to sour beers for the most part. Mm-hmm. So like the, yeah. the span mm-hmm. he did of the different barrels and how some of them were super tart. Some of them were not as tart. And then he went through, did the final blend and he added the apricot into it. And the whole process was pretty awesome just to see how big of a difference you can get from barrel to barrel. And, and then the other one I went to was mm-hmm. uh, Noah's uh, barrel sourcing uh, seminar which was just interesting in terms mm-hmm. of hearing from all these different guys from breweries about, you know, the barrels they're sourcing, why they're trying to get them, and then trying some of the beers that they made in these barrels. And it's uh, it's a, it's an interesting, uh, interesting facet. You know, you learn about these different areas that, you know, you might not be getting talked about. You know, I'm immersing myself in the Internet part of beer, and people are talking about what they want to talk about, and it's not necessarily these very small, like, facets of it you know or they just or they, they they get you know thrown under by all the acquisition news and all the other shit you hear about so it's cool to kind of get away mm-hmm. from that and hear about actual things relating to the beer that you know you're eventually going to be drinking at the commercial tasting basically right well and a long time ago we drew the line for big beers but it's about what's in the bottle we didn't care who the ownership was yeah sure so you know people People have to get beyond that, but we fortunately kind of established that historically, so I don't care. Um, But educationally, this year, and and I think always the educational piece is one of the pieces that distinguishes Big Beers from many of the other festivals, that and the fact that there are so many brewers and owners that are pouring their own beer. Mm -hmm. I think that that's a a big deal, too. That's really cool. Educationally speaking, we do have some really cool things coming. And it's going to be interesting to see it all play out. One of the ones, one of the seminars that I think is um, perhaps under, I don't want to say underbuilt because I haven't built it any, any less or any more than any of the others, but this experimental brewing with malt, I think it's something that people consider to be fabulously unsexy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hops are sexy, but malt is not. I agree to that. And I don't know why. But it's it's interesting, and especially when you get Mallet talking about that, um, hops are his thing, and he can totally geek out with you. But three different, um, I don't want to say groups because Chad's not a group by himself, but three different experimental pieces to be presented over the course of two hours for experimental brewing this year. And to have um, Jason Cody from Colorado Malting and, and John Bricker and, and Will from Three Barrel 
talking about experiments that they've done with the same beer with three different barleys and to have the opportunity to learn about those barleys and to taste the three different products to find out what the differences are and how you can differentiate um, the, the eventual result of your brewing based on, you know, the changing of the malt as well, I think will be really uh, maybe maybe an epiphany for some people. I will and have to check that so one anyway, out. So anyway, we've got – that's that's pretty early. You're going to have to think about that on Friday night. It's the 9.30 session. All right. I'll, um, I'll uh, then, put it in there and then, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll try to hang out with some responsible Probably sweep, sleep through it after that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, so I don't know what order it's going to go in, but Chad Jacobson from Crooked Stave is also going to do a presentation of two different pilsners that he's brewed, one with traditional Weiermacher um, pilsner yeast, or sorry, malt, and um, one with four, four malted barley that was done traditional German style with his new malting contract, so small maltster, local contract. And so he's going to have both pilsners side by side that you can taste. And then the last, last I don't know about final, but the third of the three in whatever order they happen is going to be Andrea Stanley from Valley Malt in Massachusetts. Okay. And she's going to present with John Mallet from Bells about six different experimental grains. And she will have the, the grains and then some, some wort for people to sample and talk about experimentation and working with the local maltsters and different kinds of things that the maltster can create for you as the brewer. So I think, you know, between all five or six people, there's going to be a lot of perspective and a lot of discussion about what malt can do. I hope that generates a lot of conversation, actually, Laura, because, I mean, it, it, I agree with what you say. Like, malts, for some reason, aren't perceived to be as sexy as hops, and I don't know if that's, like, just because it's a marketing thing and that, you know, IPAs are the big, they are the big, like, style, and it seems like hops very simply change the character of a beer so easily from hop to hop, but, you know, different types of malt also can affect that character in different ways, too, but I just wonder if people have been afraid to experiment with it because it, it can, in essence, create a totally different beer. I mean, hops can make a different beer, too, but I feel like, you know, since the grain is like a base ingredient to it it can feel like a completely different product almost instead of you know if you if you mm-hmm. put a little bit of a, of a specialty malt in you could end up with a porter versus a brown or in a ratio like that whereas if you mm-hmm. add more hops you're either going to get more bitterness or more you know floralness or more of the aromatic new, or, yeah. yeah if you're in new england they get juicier apparently somehow but uh it, you know, <laughs> it, i don't know one of our welcome reception beers is going to be juicy bits from weldwork <laughs> So we'll see if okay. a Colorado brewery can get can do a juicy uh, New England IPA too. We'll see. From what I, I live down the street from Cerebo, and they can, uh, I feel like I know they're cloudy, and they they I think they're tasty as hell. So I, I know they can uh, knock a New England beer out of the park. So I I think I've only tried juicy bits <laughs> once at a beer share. So I'll uh, I'll visit their spot a few times. Well, for the welcome reception, you'll get to try it with a food pairing, too. So oh, yeah. I think Neil's bringing double dry hop juicy bits for the welcome reception, and then he'll have it at the commercial tasting as well. All right. So you'll have your, you'll have your opportunity. Yes. But back to the educational world. Yeah. Um, there's just a ton of 
different stuff. Dr. Bill's coming for the first time, so he's going to do his wacky pairings. He's going to do um, awesome. beer with um, Mountaintop Cookie Shop cookies. Oh, wow. So I did read that. Dr. Bill. Was that the Santa cookies thing? Mm-hmm. Say it again? Is that the Santa cookies thing? I feel like I just read that. Oh, well, I just... I just use Santa and cookies and stuff as oh, part okay. of the press release, but yes, it will be a good showing of beer and cookies. As you can tell, I skim headlines and don't read the meat until after it's been well, out for a while. So I, I don't know me. if he's going to present the elves part of it, but <laughs> I think that we'll, <laughs> we'll make a good case for cookies and beer for sure. Um, another interesting one, um, are you familiar with Dr. Nicole? I am not. He works for the Draft Lab LLC. Um, but in her, in her other real world, she's part of the Denver Museum of Science and Nature, oh, or Nature cool. and Science, and she's been working with Julia at the Brewers Association and Ray at Cicerone World and a couple of other people to um, really nail down a lot more about how we perceive flavors, hmm. specifically with beer. Yeah. And she presented last year and... I don't remember what she did right off, but this year she's going to do sour and bitter and how our bodies are programmed originally to avoid both bitter and sour as being poisonous and harmful to us. Yeah, sure. And how we have accommodated and worked around and acclimated to bitter and sour being some of the top categories, obviously, particularly IPAs in the in the brewing industry. Mm-hmm. So to tackle that subject and to show scientifically how our bodies initially are programmed and then how we have kind of adapted to that is going to be a really interesting seminar, I think. I do too. I mean, those are the two styles that are not two styles, but the two flavor perceptions I can think of where people need to kind of, most people don't just naturally take to them, you know, it's, it, it takes some, uh, you know, learning to like it as they say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a sour girl, but I've never liked the hops oh, yeah. uh, bitterness. So it's it, I'm, I'm there. I understand it. Absolutely. Another one that's going to be super cool and it's kind of got a little bit of um, name recognition with it is the Brewery Terroir Project. Um, Jeffrey Stuffings from Jester King and Chase Healy, formerly with um, Prairie, but now with American Solera, um, contacted me pretty early on and said, hey, we want to do an experiment. Can we present it at Big Beers? And their proposal was to brew the same beer, same recipe, in both places and make it, sorry about the clock there, and make it very unique to their specific geographic location and what's available around them. Okay. And we, we talked about it and expanded it into four different breweries geographically diverse across the U.S. So Jester King's in Texas. Um, American Solera is in... You could look it up for me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Missouri or Missouri or Kansas or Nebraska, somewhere in the the middle. And then we've got Phil from Two Roads in Connecticut and Niall Zakaley, I think I'm going to pronounce his name wrong. But anyway, he's Mad Fritz. He's out of California. So we've got four completely different geographic areas brewing the same recipe, but customizing it to their own 
flora and fauna and world. So they're going to be wildly or so wild or spontaneously fermented type uh, ales. Yeah. Yeah. That's they're awesome. all into that. Yeah. American Solero. So it'll be spontaneous, but then, yeah, there you go. Oklahoma. I was kind of close maybe. Yeah. Um, so the idea of having all four of them doing the same project having uh, Phil had everybody's stuff lab analyzed if they wanted to, so they'll have statistics to put out there as well about how different things are, even from a chemist- chemistry level as well as a flavor profile level. And so not just the rock star credibility there, but just a cool <laughs> yeah. experiment. No, that is cool. And I mean, so, I've, I've just recently uh, been learning more about why or spontaneously fermented beers Pete, you will know more once speciation officially like opens up, which it sounds like should be soon. Um, I still have to get my uh, test beer from them, yeah, or from Mitch. Yeah, hit that man up. Yeah, um, but I, it, that's I think that's an interesting trend in beer right now. That's really starting to kind of spread out around the country more and more. You know, with uh, the proliferation of, of fooders and open air fermentation tanks and stuff, and. I, I think this mm-hmm. experiment excites me in just the fact of, yeah, if they all brewed like the same base beer, basically, and then let their, their you know, their geographical naturalness, I guess, if you will, uh, let mm-hmm. that kind of impart its own, you know, stamp on it. That'll be fun to see how that all turns out. Right. And if, you know, I don't know how far they went with it, but I think they went to pretty, pretty big extremes to use locally grown grains and local wild yeast and local hops and local everything. So there's more components there variable-wise that will bring back in different results. I think it'll be really interesting. Okay, so they're using the same recipe just with their own absolutely local ingredients. Okay. Yeah, plus plus the wild spontaneous yeah. fermentation stuff. Yeah, no, that's cool. So it's not just not just isolated to yeast. Huh. Yeah. Um, what else? Such cool stuff. I and mean, we've got um, Stephen Powell's is going to do a technical presentation about fruit and fruit flavors in beer. The fruit flavors come from lots of different things besides fruit. Yeah. Um, and so he's going to present the technical side of fruit. And then John Hall from All About Beer has a panel that's going to talk about brewing with fruit and vegetables. Okay. Um, so that'll be interesting they're happening at the same time so depending on whether you want to geek out with steven or whether you want to experience and hear more about strategies for using the fruit in your beer um that would be more john's side yeah so it'll be uh kind of an interesting duality there um unearthing ancient styles that'll be an interesting one aaron heaton from grim brothers brought that idea up and said hey could we do this sure so um sam's going to be on that panel calajoni and uh tony simmons with his Poor Richard's beer, which he has now made an imperial version of, oh, and nice. being Tony, he's calling it Big Dick. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course he is. Damn it. The uh, yeah, exactly. I haven't made the placemats for that yet. I haven't figured out exactly. How I'm going to do that. <laughs> Got to tread carefully on that he, one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, James Howitt from Black Project is going to be on that, and. Um, and Aaron's partner, Don Chapman, is going to be on that, too. So it'll be interesting to hear from them about how they decide to resurrect something, how they do their research, how they decide to approach it. And, you know, Sam's yeah. got so many stories about that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, you I'm, should uh, have no. as the placemats. You you should just have a giant Richard Dreyfus face, and then just have it say "Big Dick" on the store. <laughs> you think that's going to translate all the way through? No, no, I don't. But it's funny to me, and that's what matters. There'll be three people that get that joke, and Pete will be one of them. Well, you better be there to laugh. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I would. I seriously would make a special trip out if you did that. Pete, you're really earning a spot on the board right now. Uh-huh, exactly. And you know, Phil Leonard from Oma Gang and um, Florian Kuplant from Urban Chestnut are featured brewmasters this year. And oh, cool. they decided they wanted to do both of their seminars together, which has only been done, I think, once before. And so they decided they wanted to do their first seminar about um, brewing strong beers of Belgian and German origin and then move from there into discussing the collaborations that they've done together. Well, that's cool. So, in their second seminar. Mm-hmm. And I think it'll be interesting, given, given Florian's um, German and Belgian brewing background before he came to the U.S., and then the fact that, you know, Phil has been brewing Belgian beers at Omegang forever. Yeah. So, to be able to put their, their talents and their experience together with then, on top of that, the 10 or 15 whatever you, years of, of Anheuser-Busch technical equipment that Florian got to play with while he was working for AB. It should be a really interesting um, session of, you know, learning tips and tricks and just general experience about how do you create your own brewery after you've worked at some of the best in Belgium and Germany, yeah, sure. after you've played in the labs at AB, what, how do you create urban chestnut? What does that look like? And then sharing and, and, and playing with Oma Gang equipment and Urban Chestnut equipment and figuring out what those collaborations could be. Yeah, sure. So when uh, these like seminars and stuff are coming together, do you focus, I mean, do, do you consciously go out and, and uh, like find people that are looking to present topics that are geared more towards, you know, brewing, the brewing aspect of it? A lot this year it sounds like, you know, you – you, you could probably get away with having, like, a casual knowledge of how beer is made. But, I mean, me as a home brewer, this is why these are really, like, interesting to me is because I understand, you know, some of the nuances of how they play into how a final product is, is you know, created. Is that kind of a, you know, on purpose or is that just kind of a happy side effect of the folks you're talking to that want to present? Happy accident. <laughs> All right. Um, I, try, I try really to to encourage people to keep the seminar topics to either the novice who needs to experience what beer can be mm-hmm. and learn a little bit kind of as a bonus, like kind of the cookie pairings and things like that, and then to have more of a, a technical direction for the more advanced home brewers and for the pro brewers who really want to dig in. Sure. Um, I have a number of people who have reached out to me who want to talk about the business of brewing and startup brewing and all that stuff. And I honestly, respectfully say to them, thank you so much for your interest, but I want to be really talking about beer and brewing. And the business side of it is more, to me, fitting for CBC and some of the other events that are really focused on the business of beer. Sure. Um, there's, there's also obviously the business of brewing at CBC, but big beers I really want to be an enjoyment of the product and, and the how you get to the product. And when you're talking about the business of beer and marketing and 
distribution and, you know, all of that kind of stuff, to me, it, it's not what we're there for, for Big Beers. It's not what Big Beers is. Yeah. And when people want to submit seminar ideas, I absolutely want to include them and appreciate that initiative. So if they can spin it in a way that becomes more about the beer and about the brewing, we try to make it happen. Um, but kind of having that structure of we have our brewmaster's track, which sometimes is history, sometimes is, I mean, there's there's all sorts of crazy things that have been presented. Sometimes it's the barrels, sometimes it's sours. We've had lots of different, whatever the featured brewmaster wants to present about. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we have technical, we have sensory, and then we have random, which is my catch-all for it applies, but it doesn't fit anywhere. Yeah, okay. So... If it if it fits in that structure, then generally, generally, it'll make sense <laughs> for what we're trying to offer as an experience. Um, but sometimes, you know, I had somebody contact me and say they wanted to do a presentation on social media. Mm, yeah. Well, uh, the wrong, enjoyment wrong of fit. The, but if you want to come, the enjoyment of uh, drinking a beer while taking a selfie. There's social media for you. Well, yeah, I said, you know, would you like to come cover the conference? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then, then, then we're, we're talking about something that makes sense, and you'll understand why. That's not really what we're about. Yeah, no, that makes sense. No, but great. I do try to encourage everybody, and I had, I had one social media post on Facebook early this year, right after we pr- uh, presented the schedule that said, oh, I think I'll sleep in. And I wrote him back, and I said, if you can say that, then you're not participating and contributing because we're working so hard to find topics that you're going to be interested in that yeah. if you're not interested, then you need to be part of the solution. Yep. they. Uh, everyone <clears throat> likes to have their little snark comments about uh, yawn or whatever, you know, whatever it might be, but it's easy to, you uh, know, tear something down without giving yeah. a solution. Whereas, you know, give feedback, you know, we, you know, people want right. to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. And being a smart ass is fine. Just right. Not on my time. <laughs> not on my time and not on my Facebook wall. So. <laughs> well, exactly, because then you get to live with whatever I put up on your Facebook wall. <laughs> exactly. Quid pro quo, mother grabber. Just remember exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. Trying to pay attention, trying to fix your problems, trying to let you know that we're listening and we want it to be your festival. But don't just whine without a solution. <laughs> Come and bite your tongue so much. Well, that's... well, and I've got 40 brewers on my wait list, so Whew. if you want to be a brewer in wine, that's maybe not wise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, there's, there's others out there. Take note, brewers who listen to our right, show. Yeah. I'll maybe one of you. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it sounds like it's going to be a great event this year, Laura. I'm, uh, I'm really excited for you. I'm excited for the festival and everything and uh, looking forward to checking it out myself and all that good stuff. Um, Hopefully, I should say. Uh, Pete, should we uh, dive into our uh, old 1054s here? Sure, man. All right. Laura, you're, you're a veteran of the show. You, this is the part where we ask the fun questions. And I'm, hope, I'm hoping we all right. uh, thought I'm of all I'm as prepared as I can be. <laughs> yeah, as prepared as any guest could be. Uh, okay. Pete, do you want to start out? No, you can go for it. Okay. Um, this is one I've, I've enjoyed asking. Uh, so, for anyone that's new to listening, on the off chance someone new is listening, this is, uh, I ask, would you rather questions? Pete asks, good news, bad news, which is 
mostly what it sounds like, but they're usually very complicated and intricate and hard to answer. So, uh, so Laura, would you rather be stuck alone on a desert island with only Kanye West and a magic well that produces any sort of cider, wine, whatever it is you you enjoy, or you know, be stuck and live in a utopian society that has wonderful people, but only like you know, wine in a box or a woodchuck? Mm. Yeah, you do ask some ridiculously impossible <laughs> questions. That's the finest compliment I've received, at least this week. I, I, as, as fascinating as the island and the beverages would be, I think I'd have to go for the great people on this one. All right. That's fair. People do kind of make a situation a little bit better. And I did write this question before Kanye had his little like episode and had to cancel his tour and stuff which I don't know if you're a big Kanye oh, West well. follower or not, but apparently that's a thing. Uh, not so much, but uh, enough to get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Pete, what do you got? Okay. I <clears throat> I honestly can't remember if I... I, I'm, I wanted to resurrect a couple, um, and I hope I'm not repeating questions here. If I am, we can just we can skip on to the next one. Um, I can't remember the ones from last time. I'm sorry. I'm a shitty host. But okay, so the good news is you can make yourself completely sober at a moment's notice. The bad news is it only lasts for 10 minutes, and then your bowels give way, and you shit your pants, and you are drunk again. <laughs> uh, what would be the best place to use this? On that island? <laughs> <laughs> that, that probably would. Yep. All right. I like that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, Kanye, take that. <laughs> uh, well, you're going to know each other really well. Now you're going to know that much more. Yep, exactly. <laughs> it's just bound to happen. Eventually. And then you can be sober for 10 minutes and laugh at what's going to happen next. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just for your own personal enjoyment. Yeah. Um. All right, so... If you if you were a beer drinker, Laura, would you rather go back in time and drink the beers like originally made by the ancient societies or time travel into the future and try all the gnarly shit that society eventually manages to come up with? Well, that's easy for me because we're starting to brew with Clarity Firm and stuff that I can actually drink. Uh, okay. So I would definitely go forward and I'm looking forward to having my sours back because I'm definitely a sour girl. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Science I actually got to drink some sours at the Salida Festival because Odd 13 was brewed with Clarity Firm, and I was pretty excited about that. Oh, that's cool. I didn't realize they... What it, mm-hmm. What exactly is that? That's just uh, like a, an agent that goes in and kind of removes that, that piece of the, the puzzle. The, the, it's the gluten, right? Well, it's an... It's a, Clarity Firm was used in and has been in Europe for a long time to actually... Clarify, excuse me, clarify a hazy beer. Oh, okay. So it's an enzyme that breaks down the protein chains to eliminate the haze. And the side product of that is that you're breaking down the gluten protein chains and making it into something that's not harmful. Huh, interesting. So, yeah, so you might lose a little bit in mouthfeel because you're taking some of that um, perhaps thicker element out. But otherwise, you can brew completely straightforward, full, natural, 100% original ingredients and end up with a 
10, usually around 10 parts per million um, gluten-containing beer, and 20 parts per million is the European equivalent of gluten-free. Hmm. So hmm. you're really getting it down to very, very, very small. Yeah. That's awesome. So I'm guessing if it reduces... Now, the U.S. does not... Oh, go ahead. ...reduces or removes gluten. Uh-huh. The U.S. is not calling that gluten-free. They still require reduced or removed to be on there because it's not original gluten-free ingredients. Oh, okay. It's like being, oh, gotcha. it's like being organic. If you're not all organic from the very get-go, you can't, can't put that on your label. Right, exactly. And I, I understand it, but it's frustrating for a lot of the people that want to market as gluten-free. Yeah, because in, so, in all intents and purposes, it, it has the same effect. Is there a way to get around that, do you think? Like gluten-free, like putting a special like uh, asterisk on the label, or is it just... Not, not in the U.S., because the, hmm. the label approval people have got you coming and going. Gotcha, but, gotcha. I think the gluten reduced and gluten removed are are really buzzwords that the the celiac and the gluten free diet people understand, um, so they know what to look for. Yeah, I would just say uh, you know, and the beers taste so much better. <laughs> I, I would just uh, put it as gluten comma free because you know it's there's some gluten in there and it's free for you. Just take it; it's all right. But <laughs> that's not gluten free ish. If you put you. like the ish on the <laughs> end of it, just gluten free ish. Gluten, eh. <laughs> pretty much gluten free, maybe I don't know. Gluten meh. You try it and find out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. There's enough of stuff that would otherwise be considered wacky that's approved. You never know. <laughs> yeah. Pete, uh, you got you got another one? Yes, I do. All right. All right. So this so this is one I ask sometimes, but I I've tweaked it a little bit just to get a more solid answer because I feel like the answers could be so much better on this question. So without further ado, uh, the good news is you're now a well loved house cat, but the bad news is you're also plagued by crippling alcoholism. And if you stop drinking, you get the DTs and you will 100% die if you don't drink every four hours. So how do you, as a house cat? Feed your addiction without your out without letting your owners know you're a raging alcoholic. Because I mean, you're well loved, and you're well loved only because you are a high functioning alcoholic cat. If you get away, give away your secret, they'll throw your ass in the pound. <laughs> the, mm. the adjustments are are good, I'd say. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I didn't I didn't hear the previous version, so I can't give you. <laughs> An opinion on that one. It's just a lot um, less you didn't die. That's a hint, yeah. I guess. You didn't die if you, <laughs> you didn't drink. So you can't actually have the discussion. He's he's managed to eliminate that. Um, right. I don't know. You. How about a perpetual backpack? Um, maybe you have some other sort of ailment that requires perpetual medication and your medication is uh, administered in a bottle that looks different and you have to have it with you all the time. That could work. That is about as an insane answer as the question is insane, so I'm going to accept it. No, I'd say that's an A-plus answer. <laughs> <laughs> this cat is resourceful uh, is all I'm know. saying. <laughs> yeah. I want that cat. Yeah, that cat is... That's a cool cat. All right, so uh, I don't know. <laughs> I love my cat. Me too. I, I I have three cats and like absolutely love all of them. 
Pete is secretly a Catwoman. I, I very much am. I love well, I love animals just in general. But that's true. Your new dog's pretty adorable. Well, there's too. been some debate about how many cats you have to be to be a cat woman, cat freak, cat whatever you want to call it. As far as being delusional, because you have so many. Really? What's the uh, going rate? What's these the days? threshold? Yeah. I mean, I'm asking for a friend here, but what's the threshold? <laughs> yeah, you are. Well, it depends on who you're talking to. If you're talking to somebody who hates cats, anything over one is considered to be uh, damaging. But okay. I, I think the number that I've heard that makes more sense is, is four. Four? I was going to say over. four. Yeah. You were going to put yourself yeah. at the threshold? Yeah, yeah, it was because I mean, like, dude, if I had four cats, man, I love my cats, but four cats, I think, just would be too much. So you got like, well, I don't. Three is a lot. How you establish an independent relationship with each one of them? I, I don't know. It would be tough. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, basically, you're you got a herd of cats at that point at four, which I think you might actually right. have a herd of cats at three, really, for being honest. I, the three is manageable, though. And now you have Jack to like, you know, he could be the he could be the cat dog that you know manages the herd for you. He just doesn't even acknowledge their presence. <laughs> it's like they're completely they don't exist to my dog. But uh, I guess that would that that makes a really good relationship between cats and dogs. <laughs> yeah. Just well, neither of them that fucking your acknowledging. Your dog is not them. being ambushed either. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, and he's not ambushing them. Cats and dogs good. living I know together. That, yeah, it, it can work really, really well, or it can be really, really problematic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are very. We we got Jack. He was he's six years old, and uh, we just picked him up a couple of weeks ago. And we had three cats that already lived here, and two of them are like, actually, all of them are pretty dominant. So we were like, oh man, it has to be like the perfect dog when we actually adopt a dog. And we had a lot of discussion about it, and and finally for Christmas, um, I gave my wife. Uh, just a box of like dog treats and dog food. Cause she like wants a dog. She wanted a dog so bad. Um, nice. so yeah. So when we, we went to the pound, we found Jack and we're like, Oh man, he's the perfect dog. But we had our reservations because it's like, how do you introduce an old dog in with into like a bunch of old cats? And it worked out right. the best we could have possibly, uh, possibly hoped for Cause they just all ignore each other. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's like they're old dogs, old cats. It's like smart enough. They're an old married couple, basically. Old married couples, I guess. Just ignore each other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're mature, so they're like, ah, whatever, fuck off. I, I don't care. <laughs> More work than it's worth to fight it. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah, I think they're just at the point in their cat dogs and cat lives where they're like, eh, whatever. I got, better, go. I got better stuff to do. I got to go sniff this plant. And I gotta yeah. Go use this I got to go dig in my, my kitty litter and throw shit all over the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Well, at least you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, I don't deny that. Well, yeah. well, this well, turned into the cat dog dog <laughs> podcast. I'm, right. I'm really, I'm really digging it. Cat, cats and dogs, cats and dogging. Mm-hmm. No, but Laura, uh, yeah, I, I think let's wrap it up. I, I think that was a great, uh, was a great show. Appreciate you kind of giving us a lowdown of big beers this year. Again, uh, congrats on the uh, the move, and uh, I know it's three weeks left, so I'm sure there's a few other things that need to be tied up and everything, but uh, it sounds like it's going to be a great event. Well, thank you. I'm looking forward to your feedback and what you think and what you think we need to tweak after we get all done here too, because it's definitely uh, an adventure to try to fit it all in a new space. Yep. 
it's it, well anything that's an adventure is worth doing i'd say so uh looking forward to if it. you do the richard dreyfus dreyfus thing with the big dick and the big face <laughs> place map i'll be there I, that's all i'm saying people book a flight well, i appreciate that but i think i think with with this with this discussion i think you've been booked into another <laughs> seminar at the same time so i'm not sure how that's gonna work oh. <laughs> you've double booked yourself twice now we'll make it happen I'm crafty. <laughs> I have faith. Well, one of us does. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> one for three is not bad. I do. Right. Um, yeah, it's going to be a crazy two weeks, but we'll, we'll make it happen. Come hell or high water, we'll be there. Thanks for listening to the Beer and Loathing Podcast. Find us on iTunes, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of those, Beer and Loathing. And also, YouTube's a little different. You can find us on YouTube with Tune In, Get Drunk. Wow. You should just use that one forever. That was the most concise thing in the entire fucking planet. Cool.